What's coming up on Sunday, everybody knows we've already talked about it a few times today, is Easter. And it can be easy to get like excited about Easter for like some of the weird reasons like chocolate and candy and peeps. Who likes peeps here? Like it's so divided. Some people are like, I cannot stand those. And other people are like, I can't stop eating them. I don't, I, I, I feel like I'm starting to grow away from the peeps and all. But the truth is guys, that Easter, obviously there's like candy and then there's an Easter bunny and he, the bunny lays eggs for the children to find. There's, and then there's, and then obviously Easter bunnies, the connection with Jesus raising from the dead, they're so similar, you know, like the, the dots, it's so easy. I don't understand how we got from Jesus rising from the dead, like resurrection Sunday to Easter bunnies laying eggs. I don't understand. And I could not tell you how they're connected at all. I don't understand that how, how we got from that to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like, I don't understand. And I, I could spend hours I, trying to connect dots from Easter bunnies laying eggs to, to Jesus, like rising from the dead, like was the, the stone egg shaped? I don't know. And I don't understand, but, but to be honest, like we, 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 those, those are the two things we celebrate about Easter. It's either like all of the candy and the Easter bunny and all that stuff, or we, we come on Sunday, we come to, to church on Sunday and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And both of those things are okay. Obviously, the celebration of resurrection of Jesus Christ is way better than all of the, the, the candy and, and the bunny and stuff like that. But there is a part that I think we sort of miss. And, and it's the part of, okay, Jesus rose from the dead, but Jesus died. Yeah, and we sort of like move past that. We're just like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to die and then rise again? And we're, we just kind of have this, when we talk about the story, even when you read it in the Bible, it kind of like, I'm going to make up a, like, poeticizes it. I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I'm saying? Or it just sort of says, like, Jesus was whipped, and then he was nailed to a cross, and then he died. And you're like, that's sad. But, but we don't really, like, we don't, we're not just like, what, is, what does that mean? What does that look like? And we honestly sort of, like, sprinkle a little, like, fairy tale dust upon the story to sort of make us not feel so uncomfortable about what really happened to Jesus. And tonight... I'm not gonna do that. There is no fairy tale dust that I'm going to sprinkle upon the story of the last 24 hours of Jesus. And this is why it's important to understand that Jesus didn't just rise from the dead, that Jesus didn't die, just die. That he went through his last 24 hours were some of the worst any person could and has ever endured. And it's important for us to know that so that on Sunday, we can appreciate the magnitude that Jesus died on a cross and rose again. There's two things in that moment. And so tonight, what I want to do is I want us to break down the last 24 hours of Jesus's life, what he had to go through. And I'm going to tell you, it's heavy. And I'm going to tell you some like pretty like medical like, I'm going to tell you what was going on in Jesus's body during the last 24 hours of his life. Because when we realize that what Jesus went through, it's not just this fairy tale, it's not just this neat little Bible story, but it was real. And what he went through was horrendous. Then all of a sudden, we have a great appreciation for what he did for us. So I'm going to start in, in 
kind of, we're going to Tarantino it a little bit, all right? So we're, I'm going to skip the beginning, and I'm going to start in the middle, and then we're going to go to the end, and then we're going to go back to the beginning, all right? So the beginning's the Last Supper. Fast forward through the Last Supper to the, to, uh, the Mount of Olives, or Gethsemane, all right, is what it is. And this is where we start off. In Mark, Mark 14, 32 through 36, they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, <laughs> and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. I, I just feel like I don't have a list, but, but every time I say Gethsemane, I think I do all of a sudden. I'm not going to say it anymore. Sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then in Luke twenty-two forty-four, it says, he prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. And then another translation says, that sweats like drops of blood fell from his forehead. And so what's going on here? How is it that Jesus is sweating blood? And there's a, there's a medical term called hematidrosis, all right? And, and it's literally bloody sweat. And under great stress, somebody has to be like under huge weight and very stressed out. What happens is the capillaries, which are just tiny blood veins in their sweat glands, begin to pop and begin to burst. And so all of a sudden, those capillaries in the sweat glands burst. And so then all of a sudden, the blood is, is pouring into his sweat glands and he begins to mix the sweat and the blood. And as he's sweating, he's literally sweating blood. So this process, this medical condition, what, what is this doing to Jesus? Well, for one thing, like to be under that much stress, it's gonna wear you out. You're gonna have, you're going to become very weak. You're, you're going, you, you could very well go into possible shock because you are under so much stress that you'll begin to sweat this, sweat blood. And, and it's, it's been suggested that acute fear and extreme stress is what causes this. And so we're understanding that Jesus in this moment, and it describes it, he's in great agony, it is in such a place where he is under such extreme stress that this is happening. And this is something I, I, I want to note. It says hematidrosis also results in the skin becoming extremely tender and fragile. So like, you know, when, I, I don't know, like a sunburn, all of a sudden you get that sunburn and you're like, don't touch that because what? It's tender. It's very fragile skin or, or you know, like a rug burn and, and something hits it, something touches it, all of those things. So now we, just, just a little foreshadowing into what we know Jesus is going through. Already we're going, this is not good. Jesus now is, is sweating blood and because of that, his skin is becoming tender and fragile. So Jesus is so distressed over what is going to come that his blood vessels burst in his sweat glands. The scripture I read earlier where Jesus says, please take this cup of suffering from me. Jesus is dreading and, and he is agonizing over what is going to happen to him, what is to come. And he's pleading and he's begging the father to save him. And it's, it's because he knows what's to come. When I was a kid, I remember getting, uh, I, I hated getting shots. And so my, uh, 
my brother and I, we were both somehow needed to get, maybe it was a flu shot. I don't remember what the shot was, but my, I was dreading it, okay? And I was really like, oh, this is going to be the worst thing ever because I hate shots, all these things. Well, I, I walked up in there and my brother went first. And my brother's five years older than me, so he was probably more like 10 or 12. And I remember he sits down on the chair and he goes like this. And he like, and he just grits and they stick the needle and he doesn't budge. And I'm just like, maybe it's not so bad. Because, because, because I, he didn't, but like, I didn't see a flinch or anything, okay? So being the younger brother, seeing my older brother, like being a man about it, I'm like, I can do this too, okay? So I sit down on a chair, same thing. Make this, this like mean face. I'm tough. This is going to happen. I'm not going to cry or nothing. They stick me with the needle and I lose my ever-loving mind, okay? It hurt worse than anything I've ever experienced in my life, okay? That needle was this long, okay? And it was probably, I don't know, this thick. It looked like this, okay? It's, it's, and so I'm, I, I was dreading it at first because I, I, I thought, oh, I, I'm, I know what to expect. But then I saw my brother and I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. So I walked into it confidently because I wasn't sure what I was getting myself into. And then I experienced the pain. Jesus, he knew, he knew, he knew what was coming because he's God. Jesus, it says in the Bible that Jesus was there in the beginning, that the word was with God and, and, and was God. And so Jesus was there. And as God, he could see into the future and he knew exactly what he was going to go through. But this moment in this, in this garden is so unique because in this moment, Jesus is not just God. He is human. And, and I don't think in any area of the Bible do we see Jesus being more human than in this moment, because he knows what's going to happen to him, and yet he is dreading it. He knows what's even happening after it, and yet he is still begging the Father to take this cup of suffering from him. Even though he knows everything, the victory that's coming, the, the resurrection, all of those things, in this moment, he is under such stress. Did, dare I say Jesus in this moment was afraid of what was coming, and so he was so much so that he, he began to sweat. Every strike that was coming, every whip, every thorn, every nail, he knew. And in this moment, the weight of that as a human began to weigh down on him in such a way. So quickly through the next section of the story, one of his disciples, Judas, his, one of his closest friends and, and disciples came, comes up, gives him a kiss, which with the mob and the soldiers that came with him, that signified that he was the person who should be arrested. So they arrest him and they bring him uh, in front of the high priests of the Jewish council to question him, to, to try and find proof or witnesses to find um, that Jesus did something wrong. And so they ask, they're, they're trying to find like witnesses and they're asking people, hey, do you, what did Jesus do? Tell us. And so the problem was in Jewish law, you had to find two or three people to like corroborate a story. You couldn't put somebody to death. You couldn't punish somebody unless there was proof or witnesses that could actually like come together and say, yes, we both saw that. Well, the whole, like they're, they're trying to find people who will say the same story and they can't find anybody. But finally they asked Jesus this question and they asked Jesus, are you, you say you are the Messiah. Do you deny it? And so 
the Messiah and the Jewish was, they knew was God coming down to be their savior. And so when Jesus replies simply, I am, this is a big deal in the Jewish, like in the Jewish world. This means that he is declaring himself to be God. And the fancy like Jewish word for this is blasphemy. So they yell out blasphemy and it's a big deal to declare your God unless it's true. But Jesus declared that he was God, but they obviously assumed it was blasphemy. So everybody loses their minds, all right? So then they're like, oh, if he's the Messiah, they, they begin to blindfold him and they strike him in the face and ask him, hey, who hit you? And then a mob comes and, and he literally, the whole night he's getting beaten by different people, different mobs, soldiers, all of these things. And, and what did I say about hematidrosis? What happens when you have that? Your skin becomes fragile and tender. So it's one thing to begin like to take a hit in the face or, or, or a punch in the body or a kick, but imagine all of that with your skin feeling like it's already just tender and fragile, all of those things. So it wouldn't take much for, for something to cut him. It wouldn't take much for him to feel extra pain. Every swing, every punch, every kick would then all of a sudden become a thousand times more excruciating. It says in Mark 14, 65, then they spat on his face and blindfolded him. Others struck him over and over with their fists and taunted him by saying, prophesy to us, tell us which one of us is about to hit you next. And then the guards took him and beat him. So in the morning, having spent much of the night being beaten by various mobs and guards, they take Jesus before Pilate, who was kind of the governor of this area, to accuse him of what were basically made-up crimes. They had no proof. And Jesus says nothing to defend himself. He doesn't say, that's not true. No, 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 I was here. You can ask them. No, he, he's silent in this moment. But still, Pilate still is going, you have no proof of this. So he sends him to King Herod. And King Herod tries to, to find some proof or, or ask people to, like, join in as a witnesses and corroborate his story. Nothing. And so he sends him back to Pilate. And so Pilate's going, okay, I have an angry mob trying to kill this guy. I need to try and alleviate the craziness of this. And, and maybe I can like give them something. So they, he orders Jesus flogged. It says in John 19, one, then Peter Pilate ordered Jesus to be brutally beaten with a whip of leather straps embedded with metal. These floggings, it, it, it says that he was whipped, but these floggings were brutal. Jewish law stated that a man would only be whipped 39 times because they thought that the 40th time would kill them. So when Paul, is, is, other times in scripture, it says that Paul took on 39 lashings. Well, that was because Jewish people whipped him, but Jewish people did not whip Jesus. The Romans did. And so we don't know for sure, did, G, did the Roman guards count to 39 or did they lose count? Was it a, a counting thing or were they just going, I'm going to whip him until I think he's going to die? We don't know. Either way, this is the worst beating anyone could ever, ever endure. Romans used a few different things, and I'm sure we've, we've showed you this one a few, a few times, but this is kind of like what it is, and it's just leather straps and then they've, they've got rocks and shards of bone and, and glass and different things like that stuck to it. And this is what they call a cat of nine tails. And this was used for one thing and one thing only, to remove flesh. It was designed to be swung forcefully into skin, dig into the skin, 
and as they pulled out, it would rip the flesh open. And then another one they used was called a flagrum. And I don't know which one would be worse because another whip they could have used was this one that is similar to this, except for rather than like the shards of glass and things, they just had lead, almost lead balls at the end of it. And so what they did was they tied Jesus to a pole with, with his hands over his head. And, and with these, these tools, they began to strike him as hard as they could. And sometimes if they were using this, it would, it would grab the flesh and it would begin to literally rip skin out. The other one was just beating his skin so badly. This is, this is what a, uh, a medical professional read. They said at first, the, the, the flagrum cut through the skin only. Then as the blows continue, they cut deeper into the sub, subcutaneous tissue, which is now we're talking about muscle. We're not just talking about, oh, it's cutting into his skin, but now we're seeing, we're seeing muscle, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and veins of the skin, and finally spurting arterial bleeding from vessels in the underlying muscles. The small balls of lead first produce large, deep bruises, but then are broken upon subsequent blows. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons, and the entire area is an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissue. When it is determined by the centurion in charge, the prisoner is near death, the beating is finally stopped. In a movie, we, we, we see this sort of like whip thing and then in these, lat, these, these cuts things. We're not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about, in another part of scripture, that it said that he was beaten so bad that he was unrecognizable. We're talking about, it, you couldn't even count the lashes because his back just looked like ground meat. It, just flesh. And, and then it wasn't only on his back. They would flip him around. They would do it all, all along his legs. They would do it on his chest. And so now we're talking about a, a guy who already had, had, had this, this condition where he's sweating blood. His skin is very fragile and tender. He has been beaten all night. And now we're, at, we're seeing that he has been whipped countless times. And, and the amount of blood loss this, this man, our, our Savior, has gone through. And this is the truth, is Jesus endured this for you and I. Isaiah 53, 5b says, he was beaten so we could be whole, and he was whipped so we could be healed. So once the flogging was done, the soldiers placed a royal robe on Jesus' shoulders. And this, this was not a kindness. This was a, a mocking gesture. Could you imagine all of those wounds on his back and on his shoulders and on his chest and laying a heavy, it, they said it was a, a royal robe, so we, we, we can guarantee it was heavy and it was wool-like and, and it was rough. And so now you're talking about this gets placed on his back and his shoulders, the, the pain. You know, when, when, when surgeons, are, you know, after they make great care about what they're putting on wounds because what you don't want is that bandage to stick to the wounds, these Romans could care less about whether or not this robe stuck to the massive wounds upon Jesus' body. So now, he's, they're not done. After all of this, they're saying, you know what? Oh, he says he's a king. Look, he's wearing this robe. Let's go make him a crown. 
So then they go and grab um, this, this, this type of branch, and, and a lot of theologians believe that this was particular vine that had up to one-inch thorns on it, and they crafted it into some crown. And I know when we see pictures, we think of it as some sort of like wreath-like thing, but more likely, it wasn't that. It was more of almost a helmet of thorns. And they placed it, and, and not gently, they placed it upon Jesus' head. And your head is full, it is very, what vascular is the term, or it's full of, of veins. And so I don't know if you've ever gotten a cut on your scalp, but it bleeds, and it bleeds, and it bleeds. And so they shove this helmet of thorns upon Jesus' head, and they begin striking him again. And then they take a stick, and they begin striking him in the head on the crown, and those thorns begin to drive further and further and further into his head and continues to cause profuse bleeding. Then they decide to take off the robe. Now you can imagine all of those wounds, the, 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 the wounds starting to soak in blood and that, and that starting to maybe dry on that robe. And imagine those, those guards, not gently, but ripping off this robe off of his back, you can almost guarantee that any wound that had started to sort of seal or stop bleeding because of that robe were completely torn and ripped open when they just took off that simple robe. And then they lead him back to Pilate and, and the people are still not satisfied. They're still not satisfied after seeing what could only be imagined as just a horrendous, brutal beating of Jesus. They're still not satisfied. So then Pilate says, okay, I have this guy named Barabbas, who is a revolutionary, or I have Jesus. Which one do you want? And the people cry out, not this man, pointing to Jesus. And they say, we want Barabbas. Can you imagine that moment for Jesus, just for a second? Put yourself like, Jesus knew what he was doing for those people. He was there. He was going through all of those things for them, to save them. And in that moment, they had a choice. And they said, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. I, I, I can't imagine the emotional toll, like already the physical toll that has been on Jesus' body, let alone the emotional toll now of such rejection from very, the probably very same people that, that laid down palm branches when he came in in celebration of him. These same very people were, were saying, no, not this man. We want this other man. So Pilate orders Jesus to be crucified. So they place the cross on his shoulders. This cross, if he, if some people aren't sure, did he carry just the cross, like the, the beam that went across, or did he carry the whole cross? There's a lot of people that think he did carry the whole cross, which would have been somewhere around 300 pounds. And he has nearly a half mile from the court area to where Golgotha, which is where they, where they crucified people, to walk. So our, for, so our Savior has been that has been sweating blood. He has been beaten throughout the night. He has been flogged. He has been shoved a crown, like a crown of thorns upon his head and driven into his head. And now they place an old wooden, just splintered cross upon his back. And he has to now walk a half mile to try to crucify himself. He has to carry his own cross. And so he's walking, but he's so exhausted. He's lost so much blood that he can't actually make it all the way. He falls down three times, and finally the centurions are going, this man is not going to make it, or we're never going to get there. So they have another person, like 
help carry the cross up, up there for him. But can you imagine carrying a 300-pound cross after everything he's gone through, the wounds, all of those things, trying to walk and, and, and manhandle this 300-pound thing up a hill, how, how painful that would be. And we're not, we're not even there yet. So he gets to the top of the hill. And the cross is laid down on the ground, and Jesus is thrown on that cross. And a soldier offers Jesus some wine mixed with myrrh. And myrrh was used as sort of a, a numbing agent so, so that, that the pain of what was about to happen wouldn't, wouldn't kill the person. But Jesus rejected it. So a soldier finds this depression. In it. And I know like some people think that Jesus, you know, or the, the nails went through here, but, but most likely it was right through here. Because the, the hand couldn't actually support the weight here. It would actually just tear through if you tried to put it there. So instead, they drove the nail right through here between two bones. There's a, like a, a, a depression there, right there. And so they took this nail and they stuck it into his wrist right there. And they hammered it through into the cross. And then they took his other arm and they laid it across the other side. And they did the same thing. There's a, a nerve that, that basically all of these fingers and everything in your hand, main nerve is called the, the, the medial nerve, and it's right there. And so, yes, they missed bones. It says in the Bible that Jesus did not break a single bone, but it struck right through nerve so it's almost worse because now he has these things so they lay him across and then they take his feet the left foot is pressed backwards against the right foot and with both feet extended down toes down a nail is driven through the arch of each foot leaving the knees like they leave the knees flexed a little bit for something I'm going to explain but could you imagine like so once again, there's main nerves going through your feet. And you know what the Romans were so good at hitting every time they did this were those nerves. They didn't have to hit a bone, but they knew exactly where the most painful spot to nail a person to a cross was, and they hit them. So Jesus is nailed to that cross. It's raised up, and Jesus is hung there by his wrists. The pain that Jesus is in right now is unimaginable. Everything is hurting him right now. The, the fact that his back is upon that cross now is excruciating. Every time he's trying to, to maneuver, his, his wrists are, are sending just absolute shocks of pain into his head. The, the same thing every time he has his feet. And so he's sitting there and his hands are, are slightly above his chest like this and his feet are there. And so he has basically one choice, two choices. If he wants to breathe, he has to push up on his feet and use his arms to hold himself up so that he can breathe. Or he lets his arms hang and then all of a sudden these nails are hanging by his wrists trying to just alleviate the pain in his feet. There is no escape 
for Jesus on that cross for the pain he's experiencing. He's either experiencing excruciating pain in his wrists or he's experiencing excruciating pain in his feet. So every time Jesus weakens, he relaxes his legs. And so when that happens, all of a sudden he starts hanging like this. Well, when you hang like this for too long, your, your muscles around your lungs start to cramp and they start to, to go numb. And so all of a sudden, he can't take deep breaths anymore. So now he's trying to, to breathe, but he can't. And so all of a sudden, he's about to suffocate. So what do you do when, you're trying to, when you can't breathe? You try and do this to take a deep breath. Well, now all of a sudden, he has to slide his back up against that cross and press in with his feet to try and get that next breath. Every little breath. Every moment on that cross is hell. At, th at this point, as the arms fatigue, he starts cramping everywhere. So now he can't even control what he's, like he can't press because his legs won't let him. His, his, his hamstrings, his quads, all, all his muscles begin to cramp and seize on him. So with these cramps come the inability to push himself upwards. And so now, all of a sudden, he, he he's can't start to take breaths. He's, he's literally suffocating on that cross. And so he, he can't, he can draw air into his lungs, but he can't exhale because he's stuck in this position. And so Jesus fights to raise himself in order just to get one, one short breath. Guys, Jesus experienced hours of limitless pain up here. Cycles of twisting, joint rendering, cramps, intermittent like asphyxiation, meaning at like moments where he can't breathe anymore, all of these things, searing pain where tissue is rubbing up and down the cross, all of these things. And then, and then <laughs> we're not done. And then another agony begins to happen. So he can't breathe, right? His lungs aren't working. And now there's, there's this thing called the... Um, pericardium, which is basically a vessel around your heart. And in these moments where, where he's been bleeding out and all these things, and then obviously this moment, his, 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 the, the chamber around his heart begins to fill with fluid. And so now, not only are his lungs not working well, but his heart is now starting to get squeezed by this fluid that is in this chamber. And, and his blood, because he's so dehydrated, because he's lost so much blood, that the, the heart is having to work very hard to pump like sludge-like blood to try and get like blood to everything. But he's lost, he's lost so much blood. So Jesus, in his last moment, he gathers enough strength to push upwards one last time. A gasp of air to make one final statement. And he says, it is finished. And then Jesus dies. The man, 12 to 18 hours earlier, was eating dinner with his friends. And he had to, was under such distress that he began pouring out blood out of his sweat glands. He was beat all through the night. He was flogged, he was whipped crown of thorns was shoved on his head. His, his back was in, in ribbons, unrecognizable. His, he was unrecognizable. He was so just mangled. And he finally dies on this cross. It says a Roman soldier stabs Jesus in the side between ribs to make sure he was dead because 
the other two were still alive. And so the way they killed them quicker was they broke their legs so that they could not lift themselves so that they would suffocate and die very quickly. But they weren't sure. But before they smacked his legs, a Roman soldier assumed he was dead, so they just stabbed him here. And it says that blood and water flowed, which is medical proof that Jesus is, and where, where they stabbed him would have stabbed him in that chamber around his heart. And so where they stabbed him, it says that blood and water flowed, which is, which is physical evidence that Jesus was dead and that, he had, that, that his heart had just given up on him. Jesus' heart gave out on him. He didn't suffocate like the other two. The toll of everything that had happened was too much. The, the medical, medical field says that if you lose, a person loses 40% of their blood, they go into shock and die. And when medical the doctors and whatnot go through the last 24 hours of Jesus, they say this. They say it's a miracle that Jesus lived as long as he did because of the beatings and, and, and the flogging and all of those things. The thing I want you guys to understand, and, and I know that this wasn't like a fun sermon, but the thing I want you guys to understand is this isn't something that we need to feel bad about. This isn't something we need, but it's something where we understand the depths of Jesus' love for us. That at any point, he could have called down angels. At any point, he could have gotten out of it. But, but he knew that he had to do something. So what I want you guys to do, if you notice in your uh, uh, Ottomans there, there's actually communion things. And so what I want you to do is I would like you to grab one. Those of you in the beanbags, if you want to reach behind you and grab one or come forward and grab one, you can do that. But what I'd like you to do is just grab one and then I would like you to stand up with me for a few minutes. Before all this happened, Jesus did what was called the Last Supper. And the Last Supper was this, this time where Jesus, they ate a meal, the Passover meal, but then at the end, they did something different. And the disciples would have known it was different because the, the Passover meal is a very structured meal, but in this moment, he, he decides to do something else. And it says that he takes the bread in his hands and he says, this is my body, which was broken for you. And after I did all this research and, and I really went through what Jesus did, it's not just some pretty words that Jesus said, and my this is my body which was broken for you. It's not just pretty words. His body was broken, beaten, flogged, whipped, nailed, pierced. And then it say, he says he takes a glass of wine and he says, this is my blood which was poured out for you. Jesus literally poured out all of his blood for us through those last 24 hours. It says in 1 Corinthians 11:24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then another place in Matthew, it says, this is my the blood of my my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many the forgiveness of sins. So when Jesus said, this is my body that's broken, when Jesus said, this is my blood that was poured out, he meant it. And when we think about these moments, now we know what, what he was meaning. It wasn't just pretty words, but it was what he was going to go through. 
in this moment of com communion it, in the Bible, it talks about this idea that we, we shouldn't just take this lightly. This what this is is communion or, or, or the Lord's Supper. We shouldn't just take this lightly. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 28, for this reason, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in the wrong spirit will be guilty of dishonoring the body and the blood of the Lord. So let each individual first evaluate his own attitude and only then eat the bread and drink the cup. Guys, I know a lot of other religions would say you have to pass a class, you have to do all of those things. We're not like that here at 4640. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can take the Lord's Supper. But it does have something in here says, don't take it lightly. Don't just say, oh, look, a piece of bread and, and a grape. Don't just say, oh, yeah, this is the same thing that Jesus did. He's saying, no, 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 don't take it lightly. My body was broken and my blood was poured out. This is what it means. It, and if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, it's not anything special. It's a piece of bread and a grape. Have a snack. But if you know Jesus and you understand now what he went through for you, then I want us to spend some time evaluating ourselves. He did all of this so he could forgive you, so that there was a way to forgive you for your sins. So he's saying, don't just take this lightly, don't come into this, but evaluate yourself and say, is there anything that I have done wrong? Is there anything that I need Jesus to forgive me for? Because he made a way for that to be possible. Because without Jesus doing all that he did it wouldn't be but he did it so that he could forgive you so i want us to just close our eyes for a second and i just want us to take a moment and this is a fancy church word is repentance but really this is just asking god for forgiveness has there been rebellion in your life have you lied have you gossiped have you lusted Have you got drunk? Have you dishonored your parents? And just in your own words or in your heart, just ask God, say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Jesus, we are not perfect. And the truth is, is it says that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You knew what we were. You knew the mistakes that we would make, and yet you still did what you did. So thank you, Jesus. Another scripture, it says in Mark 11, and whenever you stand praying, if you find that you carry something in your heart against another person, release him, or them and forgive them so that your father in heaven will also release you and forgive you of your faults but if you will not release forgiveness don't expect your father in heaven to release you from your misdeeds this is this is you want to know why that says this in the bible is because jesus we have did nothing wrong to us we did everything wrong to jesus and Jesus wanted to forgive us and restore this relationship so much that he was beaten, flogged, whipped, crucified on a cross so that he could forgive you. And he's saying, I did all of that for you. 
What about that person that you won't forgive? It, it, it's just kind of mind-blowing to me that like the, hum, the humility of Jesus to sacrifice everything to forgive us. He didn't expect us to earn the forgiveness in any way. He's saying, do the same. Forgive your mom. Forgive your dad. Forgive that person at school. I really feel like God is saying for, for this Easter as, as like a gift to him, sacrifice something to be able to forgive someone else. Sacrifice that pride. Or in other terms, crucify your pride. Crucify those hurt feelings. Crucify that, 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 that moment and let God work on you but forgive that person because Jesus crucified himself to be able to forgive you. So just take a moment and just think about that person. And, and, it, and it doesn't mean you have to trust that person. It doesn't mean that you have to let them in your life, but you do need to say, God, I understand that there, I, I might want justice, but justice is in your hands and I surrender it to you, and I choose to forgive them, and I no longer hold it against them. That can be hard. It can be hard, but Jesus did everything to forgive us. We can do something to forgive others. Okay, so if we're ready, if you feel like you've evaluated yourself now and, and we've taken care of not only asking God for forgiveness, but we've dealt with some stuff with other people. And, and I understand that forgiving other people, oftentimes you gotta do it more than once. You might say, I forgive them today. You might have to say, I forgive them tomorrow and the next day and next month. But at some point, you'll, it'll release, you'll release. So, holding the bread in your hands, this is what I'd like us to do. After everything that Jesus said, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He did this so that we could be whole. He was whipped, he was, he was beaten so that we could be whole, whipped so that we could be healed inside and out. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take the bread. So now we're holding this grape, which signifies the blood of Jesus that was not figuratively, not poetically poured out, but literally poured out upon the streets of Jerusalem for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. He did that for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you did for us. Let's take the grape. God, we thank you. It, 
We feel the weight of what you did for us, God, but we understand that it's not something that we should carry to feel bad about, that we did this to you, that you had to do that because of us, God, but that we should feel the weight of your love, that you you truly showed how deep, how wide, how high, how long your love is by going through what you did, by coming down from heaven and being fully God and fully man and experiencing what you had to experience for us, God. We thank you for it and, and we praise you for it, God. And in this moment where we understand that there was a death and there was a resurrection, God. We celebrate the resurrection without discounting what you did on the cross for us. We, we, we celebrate the resurrection more with a more thankful heart that you not only rose again so that we could have eternity in heaven, but you died on a cross so that we could have forgiveness of our sins, God. And we thank you for it. And we praise you for it. And it's in Jesus' name we say amen. Amen, everybody. All right, guys. So this week, what I want you to do is I want you to remember this. Friday is Good Friday. And I want you, it it is a somber thing, but I want you to think about it with a grateful heart. And I want you to realize that God did this for you. Jesus did this for you because he loved you and experienced his love. We love you guys so much. All right, so why don't we break out into small groups now and we'll see you guys next week or on Sunday for Easter. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.